Welcome to the Blanchard Leader Chat Podcast. Hi, this is Ken Blanchard. We need a new leadership model in business today, one that values both people and results, where leaders see their role as serving instead of being served. In this podcast, my friend and colleague, Chad Gordon, interviews experts who help us explore different aspects of leadership. I know you'll be encouraged and inspired by what you hear and you'll walk away with ideas and insights that will help you be the type of leaders others want to follow. Ready to get started? I'll be back at the end of the interview where I'll share what I've learned and how I'll be putting it into action. Now enjoy this installment of the Blanchard Leader Chat Podcast. We're going to be talking about winning the talent shift, and we're joined by Berta Aldrich. Berta, welcome to the Blanchard Leader Chat Podcast. Thank you, Chad, for having me. I'm so excited to be here. It's it's so good to have you as well. It's such a, a timely topic, such an important topic. And when you talk about, you know, we're going to talk about your definition of, of of the whys and the wins and the what's of winning the talent shift and what you even mean by that. But when, when you think about this book and all the the efforts you put into it, why did you feel like this was the book you wanted to write? What did you, what was the main goal of getting this message out to the people? Well, interestingly, um, winning the talent shift was actually never written with the intention of ever being published. So the backstory here is that I actually originally wrote the book as a college graduation gift for our daughter um, to prepare her for corporate America. And, you know, the real goal was to tell her things that no one else would, you know, how to navigate bad bosses or over competitive peers or, you know, how best to react when she inevitably will get passed over for a promotion. And, you know, as a byproduct of the anti-bully generation, you know, I was really concerned, you know, was she really prepared for the challenges that are so prevalent in today's organization? So as I began to research the book, though, I discovered that these impediments that I was going to tell her all about were not unique to kind of my 1,000 plus person circle of colleagues and and mentees, um, you know, throughout my career, but it was so much more pervasive and was so much more significant for high performers, for women, for people of color, and actually men in basically every industry across the globe. So what really started as this, you know, book to help her navigate the workplace became a reason to change the workplace from the mailroom to the boardroom for all genders and people of color. So you've touched on on a lot of different topics there, a lot of things we can we can we can discuss. But when when you look at corporate America, when you take that view, what do you feel like companies by and large are getting wrong? Yeah, it's interesting. So as a strategist, so I'm a business strategist as well. And you know, one of the things that has happened, because I did a look back, and that's the exact question that I wanted to ask is what got us here? And why after talking about diversity and inclusion for, at least from what I know, 30 plus years, have we not gotten it right yet? There's so many other things that we've gotten right, but not diversity and inclusion. And so by way of background, when I looked at two things, really, I looked at the marketplace and what's happened during that time span. And if you can believe it, within the last 30 years, there was a 16 year period of time where there was this 
enormous technological revolution. Within 16 years, we had the World Wide Web. We had global e-commerce through eBay and Amazon. And we had the iPhone that was launched. So you had this incredible technological revolution happening in the marketplace. And leaders responded and executives responded by doubling down on their strategy. And rightfully so. Um, they knew that they had to make a pivot, that they had to react in order to survive and compete on this, this global stage. Now, if you look at what happened in the workplace during that same period of time, you had more women and Blacks graduating college than ever before. You had companies that had access now to global talent. You had multi-generations sitting side by side in the workplace. And so to answer your question, here's what we got wrong when it came to the people part. We picked an evolutionary workplace strategy to respond to this revolution in the work in the marketplace. And so the strategy that we that we use and we're still using today is to hire diverse talent at the entry and middle levels of our organization and over time create this groundswell approach to the top of the organization, thus creating this change over time. So that's the disconnect between what is happening in the marketplace and what happened in the workplace. And as you and I both know, from a leadership standpoint or strategic standpoint, activity doesn't always equal results. And that's what's happening. And that's what's true for diversity. We have some activity going on. We've seen some results, but nowhere near where we should be. So it is, it is that groundswell. And, and uh, I've, I've talked about DE&I uh, on, on a couple different podcasts just since this summer. You know, things continue to be pushed to the forefront, right? And people are talking about it more yeah. and more. Uh, I think that's it. I believe there's that, that kind of that uh, you know, head in the sand sort of mentality. If, if if it's not affecting you, you don't you don't seek it out. So, I think these opportunities to create dialogue and create awareness, and so things like this discussion. So, what what are you seeing as as you know if if this groundswell is trying to start to happen? What are the barriers? What are the mm-hmm. what are the ways and the uh, what are the situations that are keeping um, that that beautiful future from happening? Yeah, and you are so right. I mean, if 2020 did anything for us, it created the silver lining around diversity. And so boards and executives are now starting to respond uh, by looking at their people now as their primary asset and competitive differentiation moving forward. So that's the good news that came out of 2020. Not a lot of good news, but good news um, as it relates to diversity and inclusion. But what I did find in my research was startling and pervasive and is going to require, in order for us to make, create this inflection point that we need to revolutionize our workplace and create these high-performing diverse teams, it's going to require courage and it's going to require candid conversation. Because the three barriers um, are barriers that everyone knows occurs within our organizations, but no one has the courage to talk about out loud. So that's what we're doing here. So the first barrier and candid conversation that we need to have is the dichotomy between the written and unwritten rules of leadership that's happening in our organizations today. So Ken, you know, is one of the most pervasive leaders um, globally that talks about servant leadership. And, you know, leadership is the highest honor in the business world. And we need to restore leadership to to its rightful place in that honor. Um, 
you know, it's the number one driver of company success. But what we don't always talk about is how difficult it actually is. And 75% of people today rate their leaders as good to poor. That's not a very good statistic. You know, so you complement that with high-performing, diverse organizations. You know, your leaders are steeped in servant leadership. And they talk about how you must have character and adaptable and constant learners and truly, truly want to lead people. Unfortunately, today, a great title does not a great leader make. And what we're seeing is that leaders are actually being rated and promoted based upon false leadership traits that have nothing to do with servant leadership. So, for example, you know, and and I remember getting this feedback as well. You know, as an executive, you need to show gravitas and you need to command a room and you need to be a political ninja and build strategic working relationships. And not only are all of those false narratives and characteristics of what, what I called an imposter leader, not a servant leader, but an imposter leader, but they're actually kryptonite to today's diverse workforce, um, you know, who value engagement and development and leadership and camaraderie and who are driven by purpose and values. So, again, we really need to take a strong look at what the written and the unwritten rules of our leaders are today. So that's the first barrier. You do a really great job, I think, in the book, and you do a really deep dive on removing the barriers, and you talk about all the different ones. You know, the one I think about, whether it's a it's a it's a culturally like not a good fit or it's a bad boss, you you think about those people that well, he's a high performer, so we're not going to really push with him, or he's really connected, he's been here a long time, so it, that's going to be accepted. Um, why do you think, in your research, um, go off the book for just a second, but why do you think? those things are still in this day and age still accepted and still allowed and still look the other way. Why do you think people can't get over that shift to realize that it's going to be a a better situation? We're going to thrive if we can actually weed out some of this bad behavior. You know, that is the million dollar question. And I, I really did a lot of research around this and it's actually a very easy answer. And that answer is no one is holding anybody accountable. You know, we have these values that we put in posters on the walls within our organizations, but no one is accountable to actually make sure that happens. I mean, in today's workplace, you have 70% of individuals who come forward to HR and talk to them about targeting or the abuse or the bullying that they're encountering or experiencing in the workplace. 70% of them are retaliated against instead of helped. And that's because there isn't an infrastructure that is going to help progress us from, again, what is actually happening to where we want to be. So it's lack of accountability and infrastructure is the easy answer. One of the barriers you talked about removing, I, w- I want to hear kind of your take on this and how, how you define this and, and how do you weed it out. You talk about pervasive aggression and inequity. And, and inequity mm-hmm. tactics rather. So, so I, that just based upon that, you know, you've shared that, that there are tactics there that, that, that keep things where it's not on equal footing, where people are specifically, you know, doing things that are keeping um, DE&I from really coming to fruition. So, so define that and talk about how you think you can fix that. Yeah. And so you're right. I do spend the whole middle section of the book was, which was actually the original um, content. That was it uh, huh? for Lauren. Ah. Yes, that's 
it. And then I, I, of course, expanded from there as a strategist. I have to add a whole bunch of things to it. But um, I spent a lot of time there. And the way that it's broken up is there's three main groups that need to work in combination in tandem in order to make the shift happen. Number one, it's the women, the high performers, the men, and the people of color who are encountering these experiences within the workplace. So that's number one, giving them the tactics and tools um, to move, to progress forward. Number two, it's the high performing leaders. So as you encounter these, as you see this happening, or if it's happening to you, this is how you as a high performing leader can react. And then number three, organizations. We cannot do this without the organization creating this successful infrastructure for all of us to run on. And that will require not only reestablishing the set of expectations and roles, but actually holding someone accountable to enforce them. And today, obviously, that's not happening. And I do talk about this in the book. And I think it's the one thing that everybody knows is happening in organizations, but people are afraid to come forward. And that's when you look at the very people that we are trying to hire, this diverse workforce, are actually, you know, we talk about it as the war for talent. Mm -hmm. There's actually a war on talent within our organizations, and it's affecting the high performers, the women, and the people of color. Now, how much research did you do? Because you talk about um, one of the strategies is removing bad bosses who under-promote women and, and high performers, you know. Why do you think that that happens? Why do you, do you feel like that's just the way it's always been? I'm going to, I'm going to bring people on that look and feel like me. Um, and, and that is a, a pretty big tactic because normally when, when leaders are selected out of an organization or asked to, 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 to move, move on with their career, it's, it's, it is a, um, it's a performance issue. It's, it's, it's not as much connected to succession planning and, and, and those other pieces. So, so I guess there's a multi-pronged question there to say, why do you think that happens? Is it just because that's the pervasive way society is right now and we have to overcome that? And then how do you, as an organization, how do you identify those? Is it pretty obvious in your research how to identify the ones that aren't promoting um, as they should be? Yes. I mean, this is, such a great question. I'm so excited to talk about it because this really harkens back to identifying great leaders. I mean, leadership is the number one driver of business success. And if, if you want to point to one thing to get right, it's selecting the new high performance leader. And so I did a tremendous amount of research on this, both qualitatively and quantitatively um, over the span of about 25 years. And here's what I found is that when you hire your new talent, who are the people who are typically interviewing these individuals? It's your current leadership team, right? Now think about 75% of them are rated good to poor, but yet we're requiring typical consensus of these individuals to actually hire someone into into the organization. And so number one, the hiring process is broken. Number two, when you think about promoting internally, what do we typically do? We have decentralized that decision-making process on promotions, asking our current leaders to select our new high performers and high potentials. With 75% of leaders rated good to poor, again, are we promoting based upon high performance criteria that's actually written, or is it based upon, again, the false positives of gravitas, potential, 
which means they haven't exhibited the actual signs of great leadership. We just think that they may be able to do it in the future, given the right circumstances and confidence. So true leaders understand that they aren't the loudest ones in the room, right? The great leaders go about their day exhibiting the highest character and, and quiet. They're smart. They're true leaders of people. And that's why most organizations today have not identified the true leaders in the workplace because others take their credit. And the good news is there's a treasure trove of these individuals in our organizations today that can be tapped. We just have to figure out the right process in order to identify them and then promote them. And that's where I advocate for this whole new HR infrastructure that will allow you to select, promote, and develop the right leaders. I always try to do these, these interviews. Well, I do these interviews uh, from my lens. I don't say I always try to, I do it because this is who I am. I'm a, I'm a, um, a 40 something white guy, you know, and, and I always try to think about that as I ask the questions <laughs> like, okay, what are the things I'm not asking? And, and so you spend a lot of time, um, and a lot of, a lot of the, uh, the pages are around bullying and, uh, and removing bullies, uh, and bullying in, in the workplace. And, and I, I guess I, I pose that question to say, you know, I don't see that as much. And keep in mind, I work virtually mostly. I don't go into the office. I haven't in in uh, in, in most of my career. It's always been virtual. Uh, and so, tell me more about why such a stand on bullying. What you have seen bullying has done to the workforce and kept it from um, letting pe- you know letting organizations fully realize the the, the brilliance of their people. Why why such a, a big focus on bullying and and you know how. What am I not seeing in my virtual world that, that obviously you are? Yeah, I think that's a great question because it is so central to the book and it is central to the advocacy of this new high-performance workplace. So let me put some numbers around this because I think Thanks, people please. can always react to numbers. Um, for high performers in this war for talent, high performers can outperform an average employee by two to five times. They're this rare talent that we're all seeking to hire of all genders. Those individuals are being targeted, bullied, and abused in the workplace 100% of the time. So your real high performers are being targeted. Number two, women who, as we know through empirical research, create higher engagement, are great leaders, developers of people who have a lot of the innate characteristics needed as a servant leader are being targeted 75% of the time. And my greatest concern is 70%, again, who report the behavior are retaliated against, not supported in our workplaces. People of color are targeted at a higher rate than whites. And men, men aren't immune either. Um, What I found was 35% of the time they are being retaliated against in the workplace. So the very people that we are hiring developing, cultivating to create these diverse, high-performing work teams and next-gen leaders are being targeted and abused at a higher rate than ever before in our history. Wow. Here's here's the difficult part. They are not, the the perpetrators of this abuse are not your high performers. So again, these are individuals who are either colleagues or peers or at a higher level who are using their position and power to actually mitigate the very people who can bring us the performance. And 
you know, we could talk all day about the downstream impact of that. I mean, clearly there is a monetary impact to that, um, but it eliminates your talent pool, especially women. You know, women are not brought up typically in in the home um, to to be bullied and abused. Um, they're, They're not. And so it eliminates your talent pool of women. It targets women who are unprepared to handle um, the scenario, therefore ruminating. And, you know, there's a whole cycle that women go through um, in order to come back even stronger than they were before. It takes time. And a lot of times that talent then leaves the organization and it promotes false leaders um, with destructive values, um, typically those that are opposite on your wall. And again, these are the people who have the expanse of impact within your organization. And really what it does is it sets the tone for how the game is actually played in your organization, again, versus the values and the servant leadership that you're striving to achieve. So we have time for just a, a few more questions. Um, and I highly, 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 highly recommend this book. We are talking with Berta Aldrich, and the book is called Winning the Talent Shift, Three Steps to Unleashing the New High-Performance Workplace. So let's talk about that third step, which is – Fixing, uh, adjusting, redefining, redesigning, re- redefining, changing the workplace. Where do we start? Mm-hmm. How does an organization take the moment? Because because part of the questions I have is just awareness, right? The awareness that it's happening, right? That's important. Um, and and taking action. But how do you redesign the work workforce so that that organizations can 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 win the talent shift and can actually come out of this um, more profitable? Uh, more engaged, uh, better leaders, you know, where do you start? Yeah, we start at the top. You know, you and I talked about at the beginning of our conversation about how we're using this groundswell strategy. And I I can't even project forward as to when that will actually make a significant impact in our organizations. The numbers just aren't there. And so this point number one, we need to redesign from the top down. Number two, we have to create accountability Anytime there's significant transformation, you have to put someone in a position of authority who is charged to lead and who is ultimately accountable. And in the book, I talk about this new strategic head of HR. It's the board and the C-suite and this new strategic head of HR that should be responsible for actually making the execution happen. You know, today, 8% of our executives are both strategic and can flawlessly execute, 8%. And so it's going to take a team of people to actually make this happen. Number two, the person should focus on creating this incredibly strong infrastructure that creates consistency of expectations and decisions so that if they are approached by someone who is being bullied or abused, that they have a team responsive and able to um, identify what tactics need to happen and can make decisions around that individual. And third, they need to be responsible to report directly to the board. And I can't emphasize this enough. You know, today, less than 50% of heads of HR actually report to the board. And a majority of that is in paper form. So they don't even come to the board meeting and report out on their people, their greatest strategic asset. So again, as we all know, what measure gets done and what's validated gets repeated. So these three or four things that I just went through will ensure the right focus, the right accountability, and again, the right result. 
One of the things that has got me through some of the more frustrating times uh, in recent months and years, I guess you could say, is is I, I do believe that with every generation we get better, um, and and mm-hmm. and uh, the younger generations carries us through, right? And and with with more uh, more openness, uh, and we could we could do a deep dive into that. But what I'll just share with you is is it seems now more than ever we can't wait another generation. These things have to be done now, right? Yeah. Yeah. Our companies are at risk and they don't even know it. Yeah. They don't even know it. This new generation is going to force our hand to create servant leaders and high performing workplaces. You're absolutely right. So last couple questions for you. Um, and, and you talked about kind of the top down approach starts at the very top, the board, you, you gave some great strategies there. What if, if if I'm not leading an organization, but I I kind of fit into that mode of a high performer. I, I fit in that mode as a minority, as a as a woman, and um and <laughs> and I want to do my part, or I want to stand out in my way. What can I? What, what what do you think a person um who is trying to climb that ladder and trying to overcome the obstacles? What can they do differently? You know, that's such a great question. And again, I get back to, you know, the father of Six Sigma, Frank Bull, always says, you know, when a good person meets a bad system, the system always wins. And so that's the issue today is each individual is going to push a boulder uphill. And so be very careful about who you lend your talent to and where you go to work. Make sure that they truly are dedicating the time and the resources and the talent and the money to creating these diverse, high-performing workplaces. And I do put some, some websites in the back of the book um, where you can actually look up um, where organizations are in their journey and are they truly dedicated and are they putting um, true leaders at the tops of their organization, true diverse leaders at the top of their organization. Well, as we start to wrap up our time today, Bert, I'd like to ask you, as you kind of reflect back on our conversation, you, you think about what energizes you and, and your hope for the future, you know, what's the, what's the one thing that you'd like our listeners to, to take away from this conversation and from, from everything you've learned? Yeah, it, that's always the hardest question, right? The one thing. Yeah. All right. So the one thing that I would want to leave with your audience is we cannot change what we don't acknowledge. So what we think is happening and what is actually happening in our organizations is very different. And in order to make change, we need to flip the script and we need to truly address and lead this transformational change from the top down. And as leaders and executives, this is ours to own. And those that have the courage to meet this opportunity, they'll be rewarded with the talent shift and be best positioned to compete on a global scale. No question. I love that. I love that. Bert, if people want to dig a little bit deeper into you, connect with you, obviously they can find your book wherever books are sold, but uh, what, where would you recommend they, they, uh, they, they, they find you? They can absolutely find us on LinkedIn at Winning the Talent Shift or at BertaAldrich.com. Berta, thank you so much. Thanks for your time. Thanks for spending a little bit of time with us and sharing your insights from winning the talent shift. Uh, It has been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for being a part of the Leader Chat Podcast. Chad, thank you so much for having me. It's been truly an honor and a pleasure. 
And thank you for joining us for today's podcast. If you enjoyed this interview and like to learn more and also help us grow the audience, please subscribe to the Leader Chat podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play, or wherever you're listening. And please share this with your friends. The best way you can help us grow, though, is feedback. As Ken Blanchard says, feedback is the breakfast of champions. So please write us a review if you haven't already. And by the way, this podcast is sponsored by the Ken Blanchard Companies. If you'd like to learn more, there's even a lot of free resources to better yourself and your organization. Go to KenBlanchard.com. You'll find all kinds of free tools and materials to help you and others grow. Thanks again to our guests for joining us today. For now, I have the pleasure of turning it over to Ken Blanchard for his thoughts on what we discussed. Here it is, your final minute with Ken Blanchard. Chad, it was great hearing your interview with Berta Aldridge about her book, Winning the Talent uh, Shift. What she really wants to create is organizations that can hire competitive and diverse workforces so that they can really lead to high-performing organizations in a whole different way. And when she's talking about a diverse workforce, she's talking about women, she's talking about black, she's talking about creative men and all, that they get beaten up by the system. She says when good people run up against a bad system, the bad system always wins. And where's the bad system start? It starts at the top. So if we want to change it, we have to change it at the top. And I think Bert and I both agree what we need at the top of organizations is servant leaders. And when we talk about servant leaders, a lot of times people think you're talking about the inmates running the prison. No, there's two key parts of servant leadership. And one is the leadership part, which is about vision, direction, values, and goals. So the first thing, if you're going to change the environment, is you have to have a new vision that says what kind of organization we want to be, what kind of people do we want to hire, and where we, where do we want to go. And then once that's done, that's the leadership part of servant leadership. You turn the traditional pyramid upside down, and now the leadership really works for the people. And what is it doing? It's integrating all these fabulous new people, the women, the blacks, and the creative uh, men, and creating a whole different organization. So I think, Berta, what you got in mind is fabulous, and I think it's a great book that people should get in touch with so we can change organizations to make them really great in the future. God bless. God bless.